Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs, and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation, and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames. Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, a podcast by Butter CMS. Here we share insights on the intersection of content and web development and how you can align these two often competing forces to create efficiency and drive great business results. I'm your host, Jonathan Ames, guiding you on a journey through the tips, process improvements, and technologies that help marketers and developers harmonize their strengths into cutting-edge digital experiences. Joining me today is JB. He's the Vice President of Strategic Development at Consumer51. With over two decades of experience in the strategic development and marketing industry, JB's journey traverses the intricacies of branding, corporate strategy, and the art of crafting a complete narrative. Welcome, JB. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, let's start off just with this idea of the complete narrative. This is something you're deeply passionate about. Can you share what this concept means to you and why it's so important today? Yeah, certainly. So the idea is that we all we all live within a narrative, right? We all follow a, a narrative that we have, an internal narrative that drives us in our day-to-day. As marketers, what our goal is is to insert ourselves in that narrative so we become part of their path, right? We become part of their journey in their day-to-day And at some point along their day, they're going to interact with our brand and we want them to become customers. So the complete narrative starts to feed into this idea of where do we derive our influences for the narrative that drives us internally? And when we say complete narrative, that's because there are so many factors that that incorporate into that that we actually have access to as marketers. So when, when we start to think about even in our when we start our day, right, we wake up in the morning. Once upon a time, maybe we, we looked outside, we went, got some coffee, we went, sat at the table, we opened the newspaper. Now it's not quite like that. We go and we grab our phone. As soon as we open our phone, we go on to Apple News and we read an article about whatever may, the news company may be giving us. We then go on to social media. We go on to Instagram to see what our favorite influencers are telling us about their ideas. We then go to Facebook and we see what grandma's doing or we see what our best friend's baby did that morning, right? And then we, we move over to Snapchat and we, we start to see some of those clips. And then we move on to Twitter and we see what the latest politician is feeding us. And so we start to see there's so many avenues before we even get to that coffee that is influencing us in our day-to-day, right? We go out in the world, we see all these billboards, we turn on the radio, we look at the TV, we, and even when we see TV, right? We don't just turn on and flip through some channels. We now have all these different streaming services that are feeding us so many different messages and narratives. The complete narrative is the concept of being able to understand your user's journey throughout their day and being able to put yourself and your story and the narrative that you're trying to create about your brand in each step of that way. So you create a complete narrative about what it is you're trying to promote. Yeah, I love that. I I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but there, I guess since uh, the last 20 years, there's been such a fragmentation of media into so many different channels. And as marketers, sometimes we get laser focused on one or two of those channels and we forget all the other touch points that people may have with us. Well, I was just thinking, you know, 20 years ago, because I I got into this a little more than 20 years ago, and 
20 years ago, we were told there's, there's between about two to 400 advertisements that people see every day. Right now, the common knowledge is that could be anywhere between two to 5,000 advertisements a day. When you start thinking of all the messaging that's going out, because an, an advertisement isn't necessarily just a screen that is up there telling a message. It could be somebody talking to you that they're advertising to you, right? All of our influencers are advertising to us all the time. We have people that are showing their cool new Tervis cup or whatever that is. Every one of those pieces is an advertisement and it really has, your average Joe is now a marketing rep for a particular brand in your day to day and it's completely transformed over the last 20 years. So what are some of the different channels that you've used in the past to share this complete narrative? Yeah, you know, I, I really do make an effort to try and tackle all of them. So I break them down into a few different avenues. So you have outdoor and traditional. So we have billboards, television, radio, newspaper. Those are sort of our, our standard traditional advertisements. Now, they have a value there. Their value is that they're trusted, they're true, tried, and trusted sources, right? If you see something on television, it doesn't strike you as being false because how would the television networks allow that to be aired if it's not the truth, right? If I see something on a billboard, obviously someone put a lot of money into that. It went through a print house. It went through Lamar or one of the other big companies. How could it be telling me a false narrative? So we have these big traditional outlets that the general public trusts. Right. And so those are those are have a lot of value to them. They're also kind of a high bar to get into. They're expensive. They also don't have the same kind of tracking. If you have a billboard up, you don't necessarily know how many people saw it. You have an idea of how many people drive down that road, an idea of the demographic that lives in the area. But you have some advantages there, too. And we have digital, right? We have digital where we can do PPC advertising with tremendous tracking. We know every single person that clicked on it. We know where they've been. And so there's, there's some really nice laser-focused abilities within digital advertising that we want to use. We can also get right in the platform. We can get right in the palm of somebody's hand with our message. That's pretty powerful. We can interrupt their YouTube video. That's pretty powerful. Problem there is it's accessible to everybody. And it's not as well-trusted. When we start looking at this, it almost becomes spam. We have what, what we call ad blindness. And so we have to be very strategic on where we place ads because our brain has gotten to the point that we delete ads when we look at things, kind of like we delete our nose, right? When we look out at, at the world, we can all see our nose, but you don't see it because your brain actually deletes it. It kind of mentally photoshops it out of your vision. We're starting to do that with digital ads as well because they're so frequent we start to delete them. But if you do get them right, you can track well, you can geo-target really, really clearly, you can identify a very specific group. So it's a great opportunity. So those are the two main ones. But now we have some other sides. We have like guerrilla marketing. So I can send a street team out and we can put door knockers up or we can do, you know, one time at a, at a trade show, we had breakdancing ninjas running around the trade show, causing scenes and having everybody look at what's going on there. And then when people didn't see what was happening, they'd watch them. And then next thing you know, they were handed something with a QR code. They were able to scan or they saw the URL on the back of the breakdancer's shirts. And we broke up what, what wasn't the most exciting trade show. Let's be real. It was, uh, it was an insurance technology trade show. Oh, it must have blown them away. Yeah. But all of a sudden you got these breakdancers the running around. Man, we gathered some... Oh, we had some huge crowds going on. It was fantastic. Uh, so what you have to do is get creative and understand 
where is your audience already engaging? Where are they having that conversation? And then how do you come in and become a part of that? And if you start to think from that side first, you start to open up this whole world of outlets that you're able to access. Yeah, that's amazing. It's funny, even with uh, the traditional media, a lot of those are becoming hybrid now with digital. I've noticed that a lot of the billboards now are digital and they're actually updated on the fly. So you can buy like incremental portions of that view time. So yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, sometimes uh, with digital marketing, we forget some of those more human interactions and the more traditional ones, but they're all part of that complete narrative that could be given to somebody. So as far as like giving an example of why this matters, have you seen somebody really do a good job of creating one of these complete narratives? Or have you had a, a client maybe that's done it really well, that's gotten great results out of that? Quite a few, actually. I, not to brag, but, you know, we do it regularly. One of my favorite examples that I think had the most profound impact was actually police recruitment. So it's an area that you may not think of from the standpoint of marketing, right? And, and they didn't either. So when they came to me, it was a, it was a state police organization. Prior to, to working with me, their recruitment strategy really consisted mostly of referrals. You know, almost 85% of, of law enforcement came through a referral from a family member that was already in law enforcement. When talking with the table full of the sergeants and captains and everyone that was there, I sat there and I listened. And it's really important when you're doing this to listen to, to your clientele, to understand what it is they've done and what they're trying to do so that you can then create that map. And what they said was, why don't we just show a bunch of pictures of SWAT? We'll get everybody that, that wants to join SWAT. They'll all become officers. Well, that's problematic. In my mind, that's problematic, right? I don't come from that side of a law enforcement background. But all of a sudden, I had this opportunity to help craft the narrative that they were trying to tell the world. So what we did was we pulled it back and we said, look, what if we identified a different kind of audience, the kind of audience that we truly want out there policing our streets, the kind of audience that, that what I called community mirroring. And so we started to look at what does the community look like? How do we mirror that within law enforcement? And then once we've done that, now we've been able to identify the who, because we want to diversify law enforcement. We want to really make them more mirrored within the community. So we've identified who. Now we need to figure out where and how do we communicate with them? So we started to understand where that conversation was taking place and what kind of conversation needed to be had because within recruitment, there is a very specific effort being made, which is you're gonna have to change somebody's entire lifestyle, okay? This isn't like I'm gonna sell you a widget. I'm not trying to sell you your favorite candy bar instead of this other candy bar. I'm trying to make, make you take a change in your life that will impact generations down the road, right? We call that generational impact. If you're gonna actually put something out like that that's gonna have that kind of difference in someone's life, we have to have a conversation because they're gonna have to go through a larger decision-making process in order to get there. So what we did was we started putting out, well, we created the complete narrative. We started creating, we, we developed a website. On that website, there were stories about people who had come before, information about the different areas that they could be they could be stationed. We talked about the different equipment they would be working with, the different sort of divisions that existed, not just being a cop, but being sort of the career path that it looked like, the different areas that you could work within. We started talking about what it looked like at the end of your career through things like a lifetime pension and the different benefits you'll be able to achieve. 
we've created all of this through video, audio, and the written content, and through lots of great imagery. We put that all on a website. And then we started reaching out to people through advertisements. We did outdoor, we did television, we did radio, we did PPC. So we were in the digital means. We were on Facebook, Instagram. We were putting throughout several different social media platforms. When they came to the website, the first thing we tried to do was grab onto their email address, put them on a list. Within that list, we started giving them email right away. They, we sent one to their inbox every few days. They got another one for a couple weeks, and then it slowed down to every other week. They would get another article that would be about fitness, or it would be a success story from someone who had come before, or be an encouraging story of a positive piece. Because at that point, and this is pre, this is about 2019 is when this started. So we were able to, and I say that because something very specific happened in 2020, especially when it comes to law enforcement in this country. But we started the year before started going, you know what, what if we reimagine the way that we're talking about this opportunity and not in the way that would come to be the national narrative about what it was to be a police officer? We started changing that right away. And what happened was we started engaging people that had never been engaged before. We started sparking imagination of what it would be like to be an officer and people that had never considered it before. And in doing so, and because we did it in long form, we did it in a way that we crafted the narrative completely, and we had that conversation with them ongoing, we ended up, A, we raised their recruitment numbers by over 85% in that first year. And this is at a time where more officers were retiring than being hired. We raised it by 85% in the first year, and it continued year after year. And then here was the fun part. When you looked at the picture of the graduating class, there were more women, there were more people of color, there were more people of diverse backgrounds, and it started to look a lot like the neighborhoods they were supposed to be going into and policing. We started finding that community mirror. So we were able to diversify the force. We were able to increase the numbers like they had never seen. And the reason why was we started talking to the audience differently and crafting a narrative as opposed to saying, hey, we got this opportunity you should take advantage of. And that's it. That's great. I mean, I would imagine in, in doing something that involved multiple channels like that, there would be some technical hurdles to trying to keep consistent content to track people between channels. Can you talk to some of those hurdles and uh, how you overcame those? Yeah, so technical hurdles we faced, the one that stands out the most when you say hurdle was some of the stuff we discovered in the beginning, which was when the pictures of the different officers, we would get a phone call from one of the captains and saying, hey, we need to take these pictures down. So-and-so just went undercover. And so that was a different experience than I'd ever had yeah. as a marketing. I would say marketing is not life or death. It was. Right. It, it was. This was a different scenario. All of a sudden it was going, okay, well, we need to start re uh, having that conversation again about who's going to be in the picture. Content agility. Content agility for sure. So in a way that I had never seen before. Beyond that, though, it was a matter of you have to stay consistent. You have to stay consistent with the messaging you're putting out there, the kind of story that you're trying to craft. When it comes to brand consistency, we hear that term a lot, and we usually think of, is it using the same colors throughout the whole process? Are we using the same fonts throughout all the different content? Because if it feels scattered, then you're not going to be able to maintain that conversation. Remember, complete narrative also means it's a fluid conversation. So if it feels staggered, if it feels like lots of different people are working on it, but not together, 
you're going to lose your audience. Remember, 5,000 advertisements a day. You have to make sure that you keep this consistent message so they realize that it's you talking to them each step of the way. When you start hitting all those different platforms to keep that narrative consistent, it's really important to have that central point of control, that, that traffic controller, right? When you go to the airport, you have airplanes flying everywhere. You got the little ones, you got the huge airlines, you got helicopters, you got the, the little carts running around with all the baggage in it. And then you have this tower right in the middle that's coordinating everything, right? That's the sort of piece that you're going to need within something that's a multi-platform campaign is some sort of pivotal point in the midst of it all that makes sure that you're staying consistent throughout everything. Because if you don't, it's not going to land the way that you're hoping it will. Yeah. No, I, I understand that just from a personal standpoint, you know, health insurance, we all deal with health insurance from time to time. The health insurance company that I work with, I mean, I reach out to them through their marketing site. Sometimes they have a, a customer portal that I come through. They have a web app that I get through. They reach out to me via email. And uh, this is a huge company. They've got to have a, a consistent place where they can manage all that at once. That's one of the things, obviously, working as a marketing director at Butter CMS, we're a, a headless CMS. That's what we do a lot of. So we, we work with clients who have multiple channels they're trying to control the content for and stream it to all in one place. I come back from a time in marketing where you didn't necessarily have that. And a lot of times you'd have a, a specific content management platform for each one of these channels. And it was just, it was just mind numbing because sometimes you would you'd make a change in one channel and wow, that that change really worked well. That's take it across all the channels. They had to make sure you went into every channel and go in and change that from what worked in this particular channel. So yeah, I really understand that importance of having a kind of a central location where you can control all that. So in your example here with the police officers, what worked in in creating that central compartment or how did you uh, manage control over that? You know, it, it really came down to content calendars uh, it came down to planning everything out ahead of time. I like the analogy of if somebody tells you, hey, there's this beautiful waterfall in these mountains, you have to go check it out. Okay, that's your destination, the waterfall, right? Your, your landscape you're diving into would be the mountains. Well, you don't stop there. You don't just go into the mountains and start wandering around looking for a waterfall. If you do, you're very likely to get eaten by a bear or at least get lost, right? What you do is you start mapping it out ahead of time. You, you pull up your trail app or you, you know, old school, you go and actually get a map and you, you see who's gone ahead. Hopefully a trail's been, uh, been blazed for you and you're able to follow that. You find a trailhead with clear signage that says, this is where you need to go. You check it against your map and you go, okay, this is where it's at. And then all the way along, you continue to check. You bring a compass. So you make sure you watch where you're going, but you always follow that map because you've you've mapped it out ahead of time. We do the same thing with this. So with all of our campaigns, whether it's law enforcement recruitment or we're helping a startup branch into a, a new level of their business or we're trying to help somebody break into a new industry. I like to work with disruptors a lot. So you'll hear me talk about things like this. The first thing though, even if you're blazing your own trail, you still have to map it out ahead of time. You don't just do this haphazardly. There's too much at stake. And so what we did is, and and what we continue to do is we map it out. We create that roadmap to success. We identify your waterfall. We find out where you're at. And then we create that map that gets there. What I say is you have to come in and, and understand what your goals are. If you understand what your goals are and you got a budget, I can create that map that gets you there every time. 
And then we need to follow it. We got to follow the map. You can't get a quarter of the way down the map and go, I don't see a waterfall. Let's go ahead and change direction. Like, no, there's, there's a map in place. And if we follow it and we have faith in it and we know that we mapped it out ahead of time. Now, again, we got to be agile. There are things that you have to, to make some tweaks along the way. If you find out that you ended up at a cliff, you don't just keep walking, right? You readjust, you look at the environment around you and you figure out where you want to go next. But that roadmap ahead of time is where we start all of our campaigns. Everyone, no matter how big or how small it is, we start with that kickoff meeting to truly understand who you are, what you want, where you want to go, who it is that you're talking to. And then from there, we start with creating that roadmap. I always say we're cartographers. We have to create the maps first, and then we have to be able to convince people to follow them along the way. So in that process of creating the map, I'm assuming you're having a team that's probably got some people who are creative, you know, content creators. You have some people who are probably technical who are going to implement this across these different channels. How do you get good coordination between those two sides? Because often, you know, your, your technical minds seem to have a different set of objectives than your creative minds. And there seems to be a little bit of butting heads there. How do you create harmony in that map that you're talking about? Sure. Well, you know, my my favorite part is creating the map. I'm a visionary. I'm a strategist. I create the map. What I'm not amazing at every step of the way is every one of those little pieces, but I don't need to be. It's why it's important to be part of a team, right? I I love the the saying of, if you want to grow fast, do it alone. If you want to go far, do it as a team. So we brought together a really great team. It's always good to be part of a great team because there are some really tedious aspects of this and you need people that are good at that side of things. You have technical aspects. So you need people that are good at that side of things. And like you said, you, you have creative aspects. You have all these things. So once the map is created, the most important thing from that, the next step, once the map is created, is a good project manager. Someone that can come in and keep everything in line. And from there, give them the right tools. So one of their tools is that map. If that map is clear, that's one tool. Now, if they incorporate that into a project management software, well, the one that our agency uses currently is is ClickUp, right? And there's a bunch out there. So we use that. My very first one I ever used was was Job Order with my first uh, agency we were with. So, you know, you work with these, these different kind of platforms. You have your technology mix we have your tech stack that you use for marketing, but you also have your tech stack you use for project management and implementing the marketing. Kind of like the CMS you were talking about. We we use HubSpot a lot for sort of that outreach mix. I remember the very first one I was ever made aware of was Hootsuite. And you're trying to post on all these different social platforms and all of a sudden Hootsuite came out and it's gotten a lot better since then. It was it was a dream that turned into kind of a nightmare and implementation. <laughs> Uh, but the idea being yeah. that project manager is absolutely pivotal to keeping everybody in line because what I don't necessarily want to do is have my programmer who loves the blue screen, but not so much people to come have and explain everything to the client. They should be able to explain everything to that project manager and then that can be translated out. Our creative, which loves colors and shapes and all this sort of stuff, but maybe can't communicate that as well verbally doesn't matter. You should be able to communicate that to your project manager and they can translate it, right? They are your translator. They are your coordinator. They're your traffic controller, right? Your air traffic controller doesn't fly a plane. He doesn't throw baggage. He doesn't map out routes. He controls the direction or she controls the direction of everybody coming in and makes sure that, that everyone is working together and we don't have a bunch of people crashing into one another. Yeah. I mean, having worked with project managers and having not worked with them, there really is 
a subtle and beautiful art to managing projects and being able to speak those two languages of creative, of technical, and bring the two of them together and then convey that in a good way, in your case, to a client or in the case of many clients, uh, maybe convey it to their executive team so that they understand the progress of things and what's being done. So as far as this idea of creating a complete narrative across multiple channels, how do you see that changing in the next five to 10 years? Do you think it's going to stay pretty much the same or do you see changes happening? It's absolutely going to change. I mean, even in the last six months, we've seen the advent of AI in a way that we never have before. I mean, it's been around, but with things like ChatGPT, it's gotten into the public sphere in a way that, that it never has. And we're seeing that moving in a huge direction. You know, we, we see new social platforms coming up all the time, and they might be similar, right? Threads versus Twitter, not a huge difference. Now Twitter's going to be X. Okay, not a big difference. But, you know, Snapchat and TikTok do perform differently. In fact, TikTok convinced meta to start implementing things like reels and shorts into their yeah. platforms. We have YouTube that now has started to follow along and you have their shorts that are coming up. And so it's every month, it feels like there's some sort of tweak going on. I had a client that was doing software for Google Glass and it, it didn't quite take off, but it will get to the point that our augmented reality is going to be all right here. You're going to see people just tap in their their glasses. And it's why? Because they're flipping through screens and they just took a, your face and now they're analyzing your entire online background in there. And so there's a lot of things like that that are going on. Uh, Neuralink just was approved for human trials. So they're starting to put the internet right into the brain. And these are different platforms that we have never experienced before. And we have to learn how to communicate differently on every platform. You don't treat television the same way you treat email. You don't treat email the same way you treat Twitter, right? You don't treat Twitter the same way you would a text message campaign. Every one of these platforms that come up has to be different, and we have to look at them like that. When we have a, you know, the carnival barker style of a guy standing on a street corner, he's yelling out at everybody. That's different, right? When we start thinking guerrilla marketing even, we got to start understanding social nuances. What worked 20 years ago may not work today. Now it may cause a scene that gets the police called or gets you canceled or something like that. I mean, cancel culture is a cultural phenomenon that is fairly new and is in the public sphere where anybody can be canceled by anybody. It doesn't take you having to be a TV star to be seen by the world. You can go viral with from your bathroom, right? So there are platforms that are coming up all the time that we have to pay attention to. I mean, I'm always paying attention to them. I, I always, I, I've told my wife in the past that as soon as I retire, I'm throwing my phone away and I'm going to stop looking at all this <laughs> stuff. In the meantime, I got every app, every social platform. I'm on the news constantly. I'm on these platforms constantly. I'm following influencers for the primary reason of understanding how are they talking to people? What's working? What isn't? Who's the next? Andrew Tate, who's the next, you know, who's the next superstar that's going to be triggering half the audience and, and exciting the other half. And, you know, those are the sort of things that are going to influence us as marketers because we have to communicate to people. We are not out there. There's that old, old idea of the advertiser is just the one that's trying to be all slick and, and lie to everybody. The truth is marketing permeates every single aspect of our life. Every decision that we ever make in our life has an influence of marketing in it. The reason why we have two people working in the household, the reason why we have 
houses the size we do, the reason why we have grass in our front yard or why we eat breakfast as the most important meal of the day or why nine out of 10 dentists think that you should take a, a toothpaste with that, that takes the film off your teeth. All these sorts of things are influenced by marketing, all of them. Every decision we make in our lives on one level or another has been influenced by a marketer that sat down and crafted a narrative that you bought into. Yeah, absolutely. JB, give a piece of tactical advice to someone who may be hearing this and saying, all right, I get the idea. It's important to have the complete narrative across these multiple channels. What's a piece of tactical advice they could start to do right now to start planning for that, to maybe make a step in that direction? My first piece of advice is stop marketing to yourself. Stop talking to yourself. Most people out there, most clients that I get, and I've worked with a lot of businesses that range almost every industry, the first thing that I typically notice is you've been talking to yourself this whole time. So first step is stop talking to yourself. And the second step is start talking to your audience. Before you start marketing to them, start talking to them. And what you should be saying is, tell me about yourself. You should be asking questions. What influences you? Tell me how your day-to-day -day is sculpted by the decisions you make and why do you make those decisions? And in that conversation you're having with them, you have to listen. You have to listen carefully because true marketing, good, effective marketing starts with empathy. And if you have that empathy of, of your audience, and empathy is not sympathy, it's not just an understanding of why they do what they do, it's a true feeling of, of knowing what it's like to be them, what it's like to be triggered or inspired or motivated in one direction or another. That empathy, if you start there, you start with that deep understanding of your audience, everything else will start to make sense. You'll start to know where they're at. You'll start to know how to talk to them. You'll start to know what sort of pieces you need to put in that mix to influence them in the direction you want them to go. It has to start with a conversation where you do more listening. Yeah, that's a great point. I think too many of the stereotypes of bad marketing come from marketers who are talking to rather than talking with, rather than listening to their audiences. Whereas the really great breakthroughs in sales and marketing, I think, have come from when people have stopped listening and talking to themselves and really looked at their customers, obviously, now through data and through these large studies, we're able to look at how do people resonate with the messages we're giving? What are the things that they care about? So yeah, great. So empathy. And so being able to listen to, instead of talking to yourself, listen to your customers. Excellent. Well, let me ask you this a little off topic here, but what is a book or a podcast or something that's really influenced you in your career, helped you get where you are? Yeah, so, you know, I, I read a lot. I read a ton of books. One of the ones that I'm reading currently that I, I absolutely love, I'm almost done with it, is called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's by Daniel Kahneman. And what it does is it breaks down the different parts of the brain. The one is the sort of the upfront conscious spur of the moment. It's, it's our reactionary brain. And then we have our, our slower, more thoughtful brain that, that we can still influence. And, and what it talks about is the idea of being able to prime, the idea of being able to help really push somebody into a particular direction without being the one, without grabbing their hand and walking them there. One of the, a movie that kind of falls in line with this would be Inception with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? So the idea of inception is that you have to be able to plant a seed in somebody's mind so deep that they think they made the decision themselves. 
because you're not going to be able to force anybody into believing in you. You could force somebody into action, right? We see that all the time. That's We saw it during COVID. We, we saw what forcing people into, into reactions and actions are. But the more powerful movement is when you're able to, to help people make those decisions for themselves so they believe it was their idea to do it in the first place. And we can do that through a lot of different methodologies in the sense of kind of creating environments, using particular fonts, using particular imagery or, or the ways that we talk to one another. And again, it still starts with understanding your audience, understanding their deeper motivating factors and the, the stories behind their narrative, right? Their history, all these things. And if you're able to really understand that, then you can plant a seed so deep that they don't even know that you're there. They just know that they want to do what it is that, that you're trying to get them to do. I mean, can you think of an example of of someone who's done that, maybe in a marketing world, uh, where that's been effective? Hmm, let me let me let me think of that one for a second, just because <laughs> you're going to get me down a path here that I might not want to no. take. Um, <laughs> well, let you think of that for a second. What came to my mind when you were talking about that was way back in the early 2000s when Steve Jobs started off the iPhone and. And before that, with the Think Different campaigns, it really positions Apple as kind of a thought leader out there and put in people's mind that whatever you were getting out of Apple was going to be differentiated from all the other stuff. Now, they started with computers, and they went to music players, and then they went to iPhones. And all of those were just groundbreaking. And people, when they grabbed hold of it, they were like, oh, yeah. This is, this is just the way I like to do things. And they didn't think, well, how did Jobs think about that and craft it so it would fit my narrative? They basically said, wow, this is, this is the narrative I wanted. I just didn't know it all along. And so I wanted this music player that was super easy to use, or I wanted this computer that didn't look like a beige box. And uh, <laughs> that, that was that kind of inception moment there where he didn't go and ask people what you want. He figured out those deeper motivations and then he created products around those deeper motivations. So people just naturally latched onto it and said, oh, yeah, this is what I've always been wanting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. You know, one of my favorite marketers to study, and he was one of my first marketers I studied, was Jay Conrad Livingston. And so he's the, the godfather of guerrilla marketing. And, you know, one of the campaigns that he was the most famous for early on was the Marlboro Man. And before oh, yeah. the Marlboro Man was invented... Marlboro was a ladies' cigarette. And so the only ones that really smoked Marlboro were ladies. And they wanted to branch into the men's market. And so what he did was he didn't tell people, hey, this is for men now. Men, you should be smoking this. What he did was he hired some people and he went out on a dude ranch and he had a bunch of cowboys riding around on horses and he filmed beautiful sunsets and these, these men, manly men riding around on horses and with cowboy hats and there was dust and there was dude stuff going on. And, and then they'd have a cigarette and then they showed the brand and it worked like a charm. That campaign alone converted the entire brand, that Marlboro Red converted over to the men's cigarette not because they told men they should do it. They just showed the kind of men we all want to be, right? The manly men that are full of dust and covered in dust and riding horses and, and being cool. And we've seen that same thing now. It's why we have influencers. It's why we have people walking around rocking Fendi or, or some Balenciaga, right? There's some very interesting brands out there. You're going, why would anybody wear that? And it's like, well, because they saw someone they wanted to be like 
wear it. And so we do see that constantly when we, when we look at influencer marketing, especially this idea that, you know, somebody I want to be like is doing this. They didn't tell me to do it, but they're doing it. And can I afford it? Maybe not, but I can get credit cards. And so, you know, there's a lot of now, hmm, wonder who would benefit from this. And you start to look at it. It's not just the brands you're seeing that are benefiting from this. There's a lot of deeper beneficiaries of a lot of the marketing we're doing out there. And it's not all by happenstance. Typically, it's because they're involved in that map making process. And they realize that if somebody walks down this path, I'm going to benefit from it. So let's make sure that we get as many people on that path as we can. All right, let's go back in the time machine and say that you could see yourself at the very beginning of your career and step out of this time machine and give yourself a piece of useful advice. What would you tell yourself at the beginning of your career? Buy Bitcoin. No, uh, let's see. Um, so <laughs> Other than that, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> GateStock and Google. No, no, yeah. It took me a little while to really, to really dive as deep into listening to other people. I, when, I was, when I was young and arrogant, I thought I had a lot more answers than I did. It's one of the gifts of aging is you realize that although you may, uh, you may be a smart person, you don't know as much as you think you know. And so listening is, is so much more important. And I have learned to listen so much over the last couple of decades that I've been doing this. And if I went back, I would tell my, my young self, you don't have all the answers, but they're out there, right? You, you, you have them within that you can listen to and you have them without that you can really listen to. And if you just take more time to, to kind of get out of your own way and listen to what the truths that are being told to you are, you'll get even further faster. No, that's great advice. There's a beautiful synergy that can happen and when you really open yourself up, even if you think you have the answer to listen, whether it's to your customers, to the rest of your team, even your executives and your clients, there are truths there that they can add that strengthen your ideas or your plans. And even if those ideas are not good, it will give you an idea into their motivations and what their needs are that you might be able to fulfill a better way. So yeah, love that advice of, being able to listen more and to, to be okay with the fact that we don't have to have all the best ideas all up front within ourselves. Right. Great advice. You're the leader here of Consumer 51. Tell us about kind of what you do, who basically works with you, who your best customers are, and how someone could get a hold of you if they wanted to contact Yeah, absolutely. So Consumer 51 is a, we're a global agency and we're global in the sense, and it, this is a, a fun part of about the technical age we're in, is that we've been able to break down the geo barriers of employment and really look for the best team members from all over the world who are interested in what we're working on, who have the same sort of motivations and technical prowess and driving force behind their, their desire to be a marketer. Because it is a, it's a passionate field. It really is. We've pulled together this incredible team from around the world, and we do full-scope marketing. Everything from, and I, I include web development in that because your website is a marketing tool. So we do everything from all the different kind of marketings we talked about to branding, to design, to web development. So it really is that one-stop shop for communication and reaching growth goals. The kind of clients I really look for are people that are trying to disrupt their industries, to offer something better, to not necessarily stand on the status quo. Now, if Pepsi came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we want to give you our $112 million marketing budget, I'd take it. That's fine. In the meantime, though, I want the Jones sodas. I want those disruptor brands that are saying, you know what, we're doing something amazing right now. 
People are recognizing us. People are coming on board. We're seeing that success. We're ready to go international. We're ready to break into the US. We're ready to break into new markets. We're ready to reach the potential we dreamt about when we created this company. We're on our way, but we know that we've hit a plateau. We know that we've hit a place that we don't really know what's next, or maybe we've Frankenstein together this group of marketers where we got this agency doing PPC, we got this agency doing branding, we got this agency hosting our website. When you're ready to bring it all in and create that complete narrative that sounds like it's been told by the same voice in the sky that's that's narrating the whole story, that's when we come in and we're, we're able to really create that comprehensive map. Excellent. So where can people find you if they want to get in contact? Best way would be either on our website, consumer51.com, or you can shoot me an email direct at jb at consumer51.com. Also LinkedIn, if you're on there... 600 million of you are on there. Uh, Find me. I'm on there. (laughs) Well, thank you, JB. I really appreciate your insights. A lot of things to think about here from the complete narrative to kind of listening and being able to, you know, gather from your customer both where they are and what they're feeling. And then uh, that idea of, you know, not having to have all the answers up front, but to be able to take in from other people around you. Some great insights there. Really appreciate your time today, JB. All right. Thanks so much, man. I'm really appreciative of uh, being allowed to come on and speak my mind and, and sit down with you. We'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. I appreciate you. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by Butter CMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dev time, and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.